we have this inner pressure of like you know perfection they have to be perfect that you have to do things on the first try and something I've learned um, in the process of being trained as a veterinary assistant is that you're not going to get it the first time um, and it is okay we're, we're human some people have their strengths and they do get in the first time but sometimes you struggle with other things um, which you're good at and vice versa and th that's what makes us so beautiful because we can't just help each other support each other with our strengths and our weaknesses and um, I feel like I had that pressure of getting in the first time and it was so hard to just process the fact that I didn't get in Welcome to our Crafting Wellness podcast. I'm so excited today to reintroduce you to Gabriella. She has been on our podcast before, and we're really excited to just talk to her more about the journey she's on to becoming a veterinarian. To talk about my journey, because, you know, I thought that a year ago, um, things were going to be completely different. <laughs> We're so excited to catch up with you. I know last time we talked, um, for everyone who maybe didn't, who missed that podcast, you should go back and, and watch it and check it out. But Gabriella lived, she doesn't anymore, but she lived in Puerto Rico. Um, that's where she's from. And she was on the road to becoming a veterinarian. She was uh, getting her bachelor's uh, degree. She was in her senior year. And we talked about um, next steps for that was applying to veterinarian school and um, just kind of the journey from there for everyone interested in getting into the same career as her. So let's pick up where we left up last time. So let's remind everybody what you were getting a bachelor's degree in and uh, where you were kind of in the last time we spoke. So last time I was on my last year, first semester of my bachelor's degree, I was in the biomedical sciences program. I think last time when I look back, um, I had this different view of veterinary medicine. And I feel like it was the right you know, perspective, the right view, because it's what it, it has led me to where I am today. But it's just amazing how much growth you could do um, in a year. I graduated in June. Finally, I have my bachelor's degree in biomedical sciences. Um, so that was a huge accomplishment because it's just like a step further into, you know, who I want to become. Excited. A little bit about um, where you thought you were going when you graduated, what you thought you were like, kind of what we talked about on our last podcast. Okay, this is the plan. Once I graduate, this is what I'm doing. And kind of talk us through what the plan was and then what actually happened and, and where you are now. Oh my goodness. That's such a great question because, wow. Um, for those who know me, I just feel safer <laughs> when I organize things or when I plan ahead. So my vision was to graduate. Then just get hands-on experience. Uh, I connected with a veterinarian uh, through Spayathon for Puerto Rico, and I desperately needed more hands-on experience uh, with a veterinarian. So my view was graduate, then go to this um, internship um, in Washington and work at a spay neuter clinic to gain some hands-on experience, um, but specialized in shelter medicine, which 
um, is the specialty that I absolutely love. And I, I, that's what I want to study. And I want to focus on as a future veterinarian and then apply to that school at the same time. And then a year later, just get that acceptance letter, go to vet school and become a veterinarian. Um, I did graduate, have my bachelor's degree. I did go to the internship. I just had the most amazing experience. I'm just comparing general practice um, versus shelter medicine. It's just so different. And it just confirmed that I really want to be a shelter medicine veterinarian in the future. So that internship went amazing. Then one of my goals, um, because I did want to take a gap year, uh, was to work at a at a clinic and gain like more experience get that year to rest um, because we need to rest but at the same time keep learning so funny thing is that I got offered a job at that clinic um, as a veterinary assistant which was one of my goals and it's funny that now I am working as a veterinary assistant, which I, it, it, for me was like kind of impossible. Like I saw it like an impossible thing because in Puerto Rico, you do need to be um, certified. You do need to go through two years of school. Here in Washington, you don't necessarily need to go through two years of school in order to become a veterinary assistant and work as one. It's funny that now I'm here in Washington working as a veterinary assistant in a clinic that specializes in shelter medicine, which for me is mind blowing because in Puerto Rico, uh, we don't have a spay neuter uh, clinic. We do have general practices and we do have initiatives where we you know, try to do the high quality, high volume um, surgeries like in shelter medicine, but a clinic specialized Shelter medicine, never in my wildest dreams. So it's just been crazy, <laughs> both personally, just moving from Puerto Rico to Washington in a time frame of one month <laughs> to just growing um, professionally. It's just been both hard. Um, I've experienced a lot of things that I never thought I would experience, but at the same time, it, I feel like it's been necessary for my growth. Um, I love it because, you know, it sounds like you're actually not that far off of the path that you thought you would be on, but if anything, it sounds like becoming a veterinary assistant um, was maybe a little further out for you than you realized, but because of Washington is different than Puerto Rico, you're able to do that job now, which is only going to make you more versed in all of the things you're trying to learn. You have a lot of hands-on experience learning those things. So now when you do go to veterinary school, you're going to have all this knowledge and you're going to have all of this things, these things you've already learned um, that you're going to just get to brush up on in school and maybe get dive a little deeper into, but you're going to already have all of this experience that a lot of people probably aren't going to go to veterinarian school with. For people watching who are maybe um, just still thinking about this or they don't know kind of where they want to go, but they know they want to be in veterinary medicine, can you talk a little bit about the difference between the general practice of veterinary medicine with the specialized field of shelter medicine? So general practice from like my, my view is veterinarians that have a general knowledge of veterinary medicine. So 
GPs usually take in different cases. Ophthalmology can be oncology. It can be any type of case. The difference is that these veterinarians have, you know, the patients have uh, an owner. So, you know, it's like a normal clinic. The client um, takes their pets. Um, they do all the diagnostics. And, you know, that's for me is GP. It's mostly focused on uh, a general view of veterinary medicine. And the patient is usually um, with an owner. It's accompanied by an owner. Shelter medicine, for me, is more focused on shelter pets and the community. So in the clinic, we do try to um, create these essential services, such as um, spay and neuter and vaccines at a lower cost for low-income communities. And I feel like you could, you know, the practice can be somewhat similar, but the focus is different because in GP, well, the pet has an owner and shelter medicine, the pet may not have an owner. Shelter medicine is more focused on public health and the awareness of being a responsible owner because we do have to focus on, you know, getting these pets adopted, right? And at the same time, educating owners that may, may not know the importance of vaccines, the importance of spay and neutering their pets. So I feel like shelter medicine has more of an impact in the community. Right? And a general practice is more focused on those pets that have an owner. In shelter medicine, we do have to work on uh, with donated equipment because, you know, it's not really like GP that, you know, our services need to be a, at a lower cost uh, to have more access. So usually we have to work on with what we have. just a little different and we have to get more creative in that sense because we don't have those fancy machines. Um, we don't have every equipment. Sometimes we have to uh, say no to some pets, present some, some affliction, some anomaly that we can't really treat. So we focus more on the essentials and the public health. Wonder, so where you're working at in Washington right now, it's, it's a, a shelter medical facility, is that right? That, that focuses on shelter medicine? I'm working at the Humane Society. So the Humane Society has a facility that is the shelter. So we have all the shelter animals. We have staff that focuses on the behavior aspect of these animals, um, uh, cleaning cages, is taking care of these animals in a shelter uh, environment. So it's a shelter. People go in and adopt their pets. And at the other side of the building, there is what we call a spay-neuter clinic, and that's where I work at. So we're, we work alongside, we work together, but they're two separate buildings. We focus on the pets that are in the shelter. So when they get sick, they get injured, we're the ones who go and and take care of them. And we do um, take in patients um, from, you know, right now uh, we do low income, uh, like a lower cost uh, so services such as vaccine clinic. So in some days we just take in um, clients from anywhere and we vaccinate their, their pets at a lower cost. And we do take that time to educate the owners, hey, Vaccines are important, um, not just because you have to give your pet 
the, the rabies because it is, you know, part of the of the law, but because, you know, it affects you directly as well. Mm-hmm. We talked about last time, like in Puerto Rico, that you would see all the dogs in the streets mm-hmm. and that people would just think feeding them, it, it was enough. So most of, like a lot of people have that same mentality here. Um, I haven't seen a lot of dogs here or cats running around, which is, which is like, whoa, you know? So it's just amazing to see the different um, backgrounds of different clients. Yeah, no one really ever like teaches you how to raise a pet. No one teaches you how to raise a child. These are things that you just have to, learn as you go okay this is what's best for my animal I need to get rabies okay I understand that bordetella all kinds of other medications mm-hmm. for fleas and ticks and uh, depending on where you live um, different animals have different needs to protect them and keep them safe and dental hygiene is Sorry. is a big thing as well I'm sure that you probably have to deal with I want to tell you because I was you know we talked about like doing another podcast and maybe having someone who's maybe further along in the journey um, with you and you guys could kind of talk. Um, But there is a person that I brought to mind when you were when you were talking called uh, the street vet. That's the Instagram handle. I think it's like at the street vet. And it's this uh, veterinarian and I believe a veterinary tech. They go along uh, the streets of Los Angeles and they help all the pets that the homeless people have, um, to get them their medications and, um, help them make sure, make sure they're clean, make sure they have their medications and to help take care of them. So, uh, a lot of people, when they're going through things, you know, they become homeless, they have an animal, they don't want to just abandon the animal. Um, so they'll be on the street with them and that's a hard life. So I know that there are teams out there who are trying to do similar things to what you're talking about and what you're doing there in uh, in the clinic there in Washington. Uh, but I'd, I'd love to get you in touch with them because I think that would be really interesting too to kind of- That would be awesome. I, w- I would love to. Yeah, that would be a fun podcast to talk to you all. Um, and that's admirable what, what, they, what they're doing. I mean, it is not easy, you know, taking on that responsibility and um it's it's one of the things that you know lead a lot of veterinarians to have a decline in their mental health because we really really want to help your pet we really really want to help you and you know sometimes we just we can't do a lot in sense of sometimes you know a lot of pet owners don't have the uh, financial resources to give their pets, quote unquote, the best life, you know, mm-hmm. if we talk about veterinary essentials. Um, so it's, it's kind of hard because we do take that really personally and, and we think on it at night and we're like, wow, I could have helped this person. This person really wants to help their pet. And, you know, seeing these initiatives just gives me hope. And because um, then again, we just have that connection with animals and a lot of people have forgotten how animals impact us directly, not just um, they've been domesticated, but be- on the health aspect of things. And that's why I love human medicine as well. Um, a lot of people have forgotten that they do have a direct impact with you know, our health and our emotions and, and everything. Ah, I'm going to keep that going because um, 
it's pretty awesome what they're doing and it sounds right up your alley as well and who knows maybe it's something that other people can start getting inspired by and they can start yeah. doing it um I would love to hear a little bit about like the day in the life of you at your new job now can you walk us through kind of what the hours are like and what you're doing there yeah oh my gosh so disclaimer every day is super different which is what I love about this because it keeps you on your toes but um, a generalized idea, a veterinary assistant um, assists um, the licensed veterinary professionals. So it would be the veterinary techs and the veterinarians. So what I do is usually I get on the, uh, to the clinic at 7.30 and um, I, use, uh, I help the vet techs and the other vet assistants set up the surgery suites um, and set up the recovery area. So what we do is just make sure that the vets have all their drapes, all their packs ready, um, that the room is clean. We set up the recovery area, which is, you know, post-op, what we do um, to recover these patients. Um, and we set up the clinic, you know, make sure that everything's, you know, ready to go. So usually when everything's just ready to go, the veterinarians arrive, arrive around eight and we start checking in patients. So what we do is on Mondays, we just take shelter animals. So um, in the mornings, it's like surgery, uh, spay, neuter, just that. So in the mornings um, on Mondays, we just take shelter pets and we spay or neuter them. So around eight, we start, you know, giving physical exams to these pets to make sure that they are ready to, uh, they're ready to be spayed or neutered. Um, we evaluate the age, we evaluate the health conditions, we evaluate if um, they're, you know, stable enough to sustain this procedure. Although a lot of people think that is a minor procedure, it can be invasive and anything, you know, could happen you know, it's, it's surgery. So we want to make sure that they're as healthy as possible. Um, the rest of the week, we do take in public animals. So people can make appointments throughout the week and we spay and neuter them. And we do the same thing at eight. We just check them in and we make sure that they're healthy enough to sustain this procedure. Then um, the vet tech just lines up all the records to make sure that you know we have the, the weight, we have um, a history, um, to make sure that we're giving the right, you know, pharmaceuticals to these, these pets. Um, so then we start prepping these patients and inducing them. So in the prepping process, we shave, we clean the area, we make everything as sterile as possible, and then the vet and the pet goes straight to surgery. Um, I'm usually, since I'm new, I'm usually in, or helping the vets check in these patients, a lot of restraining techniques, um, prepping patients, which is the uh, shaving and cleaning, or I'm in the recovery area, which is just making sure that these animals are up to temp, that they don't have any bleeders going on, that their incision area is, is clear, and that um, they are waking up properly, basically. So then we take a lunch break because, you know, it is very important that we take our lunch breaks. <laughs> um, and then 
when we do, we just, uh, when we finish, you know, our little break, because sometimes we just need to decompress. It's, I feel like that's really important. Um, we start cleaning everything, um, cleaning the surgery suite, and um, just catching up on just maintaining the, the clinic as clean as possible, because then around one, around noon, we do take appointments. So we do take appointments where it is a public pet or a shelter pet. So these appointments are usually um, wellness appointments. Mm -hmm. um, and um, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, we do take vaccine appointments. And that's what I was talking about, you know, that we take that time to help owners, you know, navigate through all the vaccines and what they need and all that good stuff. And then at the end of the day, we just leave everything clean and just uh, make sure that all the pets at the shelter are okay. And if we have any hospitalized patients, we make sure that they have their meds and their food ready. And then um, we just leave everything for the next day. So basically what I do as a veterinary assistant is just mostly restraining techniques and a lot of assisting in terms of if the vet needs um, a suture or the vet needs me to uh, scrub in surgery and monitor the anesthesia machines, um, I will do that. Um, and I will be under supervision of someone who is always like licensed. So that's um, the day in the life. And like I said, every day changes. So um, we can finish up surgery at noon. Sometimes we don't, um, sometimes a little earlier. So um, it all depends on what we have, but that's um, an idea of what I do. And that's it's exciting. pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, that's really exciting. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the process now of getting into sure. um, becoming a doctor of veterinary medicine, um, where you are at in that process and kind of where you're, where you're going now. So um, I feel like right now I'm focusing more on gaining as much clinical experience as possible. I really thought that the experience that I have previous to this job was enough, but I realized that shadowing at a veterinary clinic versus working at a veterinary clinic gives you a different perspective because when you're shadowing, you do you have less responsibilities mm -hmm. in that sense. So you're just this baby pre-bed, you're focusing on the medicine and you're just like, oh my gosh, I've seen this new case. And it's pretty awesome. Um, when you're working at a clinic, it doesn't even have to be, you know, at a shelter uh, environment. Um, you have more responsibility, so you're more involved. And that's where it gets a little uh, tougher in that sense. So I'm just really glad that I got this job because it just helped me have a better view of what I'm going to deal with in the future. Um, so I did apply to vet school this, this cycle, um, on tw um, last year, sorry. Um, and unfortunately I didn't get a seat, um, this cycle, but I will be applying again and I'm just going to take this time to really just soak in all the knowledge that I can and grow as much as I can um, because I have a long way to go. And that's why I always say um, and mention on my platform that you don't 
veterinary medicine doesn't start when you have your DVM. It starts in that moment where you decide, I want to be a veterinarian because you got to do all these things, get all these experiences in order to um, go to vet school. So right now I'm just, you know, hoping that this cycle, you know, is a little easier because I did go through the experience of applying to vet school and hoping that working as a vet assistant helps me become more resilient, uh, more, um, I feel like gain more knowledge in order to be prepared for graduate school because graduate school is not easy. (laughs) And um, I feel like the more knowledge I have, the easier it will be to, you know, just soak up all the information when I go to graduate school in the future. So, yeah. So what are cycles? Cycles happen once a year, twice a year. Can you explain that? Because you're like this cycle and that cycle. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what cycles are? So um, VEMCAS, which is the the portal that usually pre-vets go to to apply to vet school, um, has this term of like cycles. So um, through VEMCAS, there's a one-year cycle. So you apply um, around May. So you start your application process um, around May. And then the deadline would be on September 15th. So at that date, you have to submit your application. So that will be, um, an example, last year was the 2021 cycle. So when you apply on that cycle, you get into vet school the next year so that it will be one cycle. Um, and then each year you call it a different cycle, but you have to, in order to get into vet school, you have to understand that you apply a year previous from the year that you want to get in or you want to start your so, graduate so studies. start applying again this May of 2022 to be in vet yeah. school in 2023. Yes. So that'll be cycle. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And then what is the application process like? Is it expensive? Do people need to save their money to be able to apply? Um, I imagine it's an application fee per school that you are applying to. Um, Are there tests you have to take in order to apply to veterinary school? There are fees for each school and you do need to save up money (laughs) to, you know, um, beforehand because it all depends on you know, the number of schools you want to apply to. I applied to two schools and the fee was around 300. Per school? And all the Total? In total. Okay. It all depends on the school too. Some schools, you know, require a higher fee. So in my case, the two schools that I applied to, um, which was, <clears throat> sorry, uh, Washington State University and Cornell University, it all added up to $300. So you, I, I use their, um, P, what do you call it? A professional transcript entry um, as well, which is because for vet school, you need to give evidence that you did, you know, take those prerequisites. So you have to type in every course um, that you ever took um, on your previous undergrad years, or, you know, sometimes people don't have a bachelor's degree and they just take the prerequisites. So all the courses that you took, you need to, um, upload them basically in their system, 
what I did was use their professional transcript entry, which is another fee um, extra um, for them to do it for me. Because since I'm from Puerto Rico, the, the courses are named differently and the codes are really different. So I didn't want to risk, you know, just sending my application and having a wrong code. And for that to just, you know, slow the process mm-hmm. of applying. So I do recommend that service if you're not comfortable, you know, typing every <laughs> course that you took. So, and it's a lifesaver <laughs> and a time saver. Um, some schools do require for you to take the GRE or the TOEFL. Um, but right now, since the GRE is more of like a generalized uh sort of like it's very general like general knowledge type tests it's more like the SATs um they're not requiring it and for people that their first language is in English they do have to take the TOEFL in my case I did email the schools that I was interested in and I asked that since I'm from Puerto Rico and we're usually, you know, bilingual and our classes are in English. Um, the English courses are most of the times in, in English. I asked if that was enough for me to show, hey, I do know this language and, you know, can I be exempted from, you know, taking this, this test? So most of the schools said that, yeah, it was okay that if I didn't take the test, um, so I always recommend that every pre-vet before applying emails to school that they're interested in applying to, because on their website is a generalized idea on what they want, mm-hmm. you know, and each person has a different, uh, journey. So I feel like, you know, you should really talk to the schools directly if you have any doubts. So, yeah, um, basically through VEMCAS, you apply, you, um, put all your information, all your experiences, and you do a personal statement, which is, you know, why you want to become a veterinarian, um, what, as a future professional in this field, what are your plans, what you want to do? Um, So it's more like general questions um, for the schools to know you and your path and where you are. So um, that's a more generalized idea on the application process. Great. Are you, um, when you reapply in May, are you going to apply to the same two schools or are you going to open it up more? What's your plan right now for, for that process? So I have a meeting with one of the admissions officers at Cornell University to review my application and see what I can do better for the next cycle. Um, so Initially, I was, you know, when I was in the grieving process, I was like, no, I can't apply again because, you know, they clearly maybe they didn't see, you know, me as the right fit. But um, when I processed the whole thing, I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is where I see myself. So I am planning to apply to the same schools. Um, And I am meeting up with um, each admissions officer to see what I can do better. And um, so that way I can, you know, <laughs> at least get an acceptance letter um, next year. Um, 
And, and for Washington State, I feel like I have a lot of opportunities. They do um, have a great shelter medicine program. And um, my mentor uh, studied there. So I feel like I have a more generalized view on the curriculum and how it will prepare me. And plus, I'm going to be a resident. So I feel like I have a higher uh, chance to get accepted this year. So I want to apply to those two schools. And I'm seriously thinking of applying to Ross University because they, I feel like diversity is so important. And they've always shown that they really want uh, Puerto Rican students to go and study over there. So I feel like um, their program is amazing. I've always loved it. It's just the fact that I have to take the TOEFL. This really kind of like puts me in this position of, do I want to go? Because I don't do really well with standardized tests. Like I unfortunately don't show my knowledge really well um, through that process. So that's why I've been a little, you know, on the flip side of like, do I want to do it or do you know, should I, but, you know, the part of their program and diversity and how uh, they're so, like, how do I say this? Their staff, I've noticed that is really, really, um, they take their students' feedback very well. So I feel like that's one of the things I love about Ross, and maybe I will apply to that one as well. I love that. I think um, it's really important for everybody uh, listening to not get discouraged when you get rejected. I know it's so hard not not to because it's human nature uh, mm-hmm. to feel like, oh, I they didn't think I was good enough or I'm I wasn't the right fit in their eyes. But it's not the case. A lot of times it could just be um, something on the application they didn't see. Uh, maybe they wanted you to improve your um, your score or your uh, statement about yourself. Maybe they didn't feel like they got to know you well enough. I mean, you have to remember when you're applying to these schools, you are literally just an application to them. Um, it's not like they're actually interviewing you and meeting you in person. Uh, so I think it's, it's really um, easy to take it personally, but you have to remember that um, you are just an application to them and there might just be something missing that they didn't see, or maybe they want you to get more experience. Maybe they don't think you're ready. Maybe they just had too many applicants. Um, and they only had so much room for so many people, but um, I encourage you and anyone listening and watching this to always keep taking the chances because you never know unless you try. You have a dream and you have a goal and you can, and you see it and you can envision it in your mind. Then you always have to take the chance because the worst you're going to have is a no, which you already have by not trying. So I think it's just, if anything I've learned in my life, it's try, try, try again. Um, You get a no, try again, get a no, try again. I don't care how many times you get a no, you should pick back up and and try again because eventually you'll get the yes where you belong. And they'll just get so sick of you trying. They're going to be like, oh, let this person in. (laughs) They really want this. Like they're not going to take no for an answer. I mean, here we are, but I mean, sometimes that's what it takes. And sometimes it's a test. They want to test you. How bad do you really want it? It's such a competitive industry, such a competitive career. It takes a lot of grit 
to become a veterinarian. It's not an easy field. So that could be part of the process. I imagine um, med students have a similar experience. I'm sure they don't get in first time around all the time and they just keep going and eventually they learn and they get, they get that yes and they get in the door. So I definitely think um, keep applying. I encourage you to when it comes around to keep going and see what you can do to, to improve that application and then send it back in and then, um, and keep going, you know, and I think you can do it. And um, I know it can be really hard mentally though, when you get that rejection, when you expect to be somewhere or be doing something you're not, you got delayed in and now you're not where you thought you should be or would be. Um, I know that it's a difficult thing to process, but as someone who is older and has been through a lot of that, I just say, it's really not that big of a, of a deal. It's not that big of a time frame in the scheme of your life, in the scheme of your career, um, in the scheme of how long you'll be studying um, veterinary medicine. So I think um, you got to you gotta take the hit, pick yourself back up and keep going because I know, Gabriella, you can do it. Thank you so much, Brooke. And I feel like you're so right. And I feel like every pre-vet or ed, any med student or students in general should take this advice because we're so, we have this inner pressure of like you know perfection that you have to be perfect that you have to do things on the first try and something I've learned um, in the process of being trained as a veterinary assistant is that you're not going to get it the first time um, and it is okay we're, we're human some people have their strengths and they do get in the first time, but sometimes you struggle with other things um, which you're good at and vice versa. And th that's what makes us so beautiful because we can just help each other, support each other with our strengths and our weaknesses. And um, I feel like I had that pressure of getting in the first time. And it was so hard to just process the fact that I didn't get in because I didn't want anyone to feel discouraged. I didn't want anyone to be like, oh, clearly Gabriella, you know, um, uses her platform to talk about the different experiences she she's had. Maybe I haven't had that experience and she got to know what if I get to know. And that that's one of the things that really messed with my head. Um, thinking about all the pre-vets that I mentored, I felt like, you know, I wasn't enough to mentor mm. um, pre-vets. I felt like I got to know how am I going to advise other pre-vets? Um, but then I'm just going to take this experience to tell them, hey, if you're ready to apply, um, do it. And something that I've learned through this process is that there's no formula to get that yes. Mm -hmm. um, you can have the perfect GPA, you can have a perfect score, and maybe you lack an experience, and they, they can say no, and vice versa, you know, and that's why I always tell everyone, hey, just if you feel ready, if you feel like you can, you know, embark on this journey of graduate school, which is really challenging, do it. You will learn from the process. I know a vet student, um, she, uh, has taught me a lot of things. Her name is Camila. She has her own page as well. Um, and she didn't get in the first, the first try. 
and she did tell me that it's okay and she learned from the process it's and it's one of those things where it's a sign that hey you can use this to be better to become the best version of yourself and I've known other veterinarians that use their platforms to talk about the fact that they didn't get in the first time and um, I feel like this experience has made me feel like after you know griefing and all that grieving and and you know processing that I am not getting into vet school this year it makes me feel actually like powerful it makes me feel empowered it makes me feel like okay I gotta know but I'm gonna do it again and I will keep keep growing and despite of what happens I will become a veterinarian because it is something that I've been called for I feel in my heart I find all the signs um of the universe that this is what I'm supposed to do so I want to tell that to every pre-vet every med student every student in general, you got this. It is challenging. It really is. But in the end, it will make you a better doctor, a better student, a better human being. So. Yes, I, I concur all the way around. And I would argue that not getting into vet school the first time around, or even the second time around, or whatever it's going to be, mm-hmm. actually makes you more inspiring to other people. Because um, when things seem easy, um, and then you yourself maybe don't get in, and there, it's like, well, it was so easy for Gabriella. She just applied and she got in. And like, I didn't, I'm a loser. Like nobody wants me. Um, I feel like it's less inspiring when you don't have adversity, when you don't have those challenges, because when you have, when you meet those challenges so gracefully, like you have, and with the strength and resilience that you have, that's the most inspiring thing you can do for other people is to say, you know what? I didn't get in and that's okay. And you might not get in either, or maybe you will. It doesn't matter. The thing is, like, I'm not going to let this no stop me. I'm not going to let this no stop my journey. I'm not going to let it affect uh, my heart and where I'm trying to go or my uh, belief in myself, knowing that this is what I'm meant to do. Uh, I think it's really beautiful and really important to remember that you know your heart the best. And so like what Gabrielle says, if you think you're ready to apply to veterinary school and do this thing, do it, you know, but you have to understand that you might not get in the first time or the second time and that that's okay. That's part of life. I mean, it's, it's it's only failure if you let it be. It's only a failure if you don't try again. If you give up, that's when you fail. But if you are still going and you still have that dream and that fire in you and that's what you want to do, then you just keep going and that's a success story no matter what happens. Thank you so much for that. And it is something that clearly, you know, you 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 don't see it that way sometimes. And and you're so right, you know. Um a lot of people, I got inspired by Camila because she did tell me, hey, I didn't get in the first time. And then I'm seeing her growth and the veterinarian she will become in a few months. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, like who who would have thought, you know? And she told me that it's one of the things that helped her, you know, feel more, even more passionate about the field, was, which is like, you wouldn't think that getting getting a no will lead to that you know that's not the first thought process so when she did she felt like it was an accomplishment because 
she did get a no, but then she kept on fighting and she got that yes. And it's even more satisfying um, because it's like, oh, look, um, a lot of people maybe doubted my abilities or I didn't get in the first time, but look at me now, I'm going to be a veterinarian in a few months. So her story truly inspired me. And that's why um, what you said, it's so true. And I, and I didn't think about that until now. So I hope, you know, the people that are listening to this um, take that and put it in their hearts and their minds because, you know, like you said, it's, it's part of life. Well, and also sometimes you don't realize how badly you want something uh, until you get a rejection like that um, yeah. kind of stuns you and you're like, you don't know how to really process it. And then it comes with, you know, there's sadness, there's all the things you're going to feel. But then if you still have that, like, if you're so upset by the fact that you didn't get in, it's just reassurance that you're on the right track and you should be doing what you're doing. Um, if it didn't affect you, then maybe that isn't the right field for you. Um, it can make you, uh, it can put the fire in you even more to say, no, this is, this is it. This is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm going after this. I don't care how many rejections I get. I'm going for this. Um, and I think it's really, 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 really important. Um, but in, in your case, you know, I'm a big believer and I know it's so cheesy, but what's meant to be will be and things happen in their own time when they're supposed to. And it sounds like to me, you know, this could be a blessing for you because you're only going to gain more experience. Now you're going to become a resident. You're going to become a resident of Washington state. And then you're, your uh, your fees for school are going to be a lot less if you're a resident as opposed to an out-of-state kind of tuition. Um, so, and all the experience that you're gaining in in the kind of, it's not like you're just sitting around um, doing something that has nothing to do with become a veterinarian. You're actually actively in the field. You're learning every day. And um, so you are still pursuing it, even though you're not in veterinary school right now you're still growing, you're still learning. And I would even argue that uh, you're probably learning more actually being in the field as a veterinary assistant than a lot of times you would be even in the first year of veterinary medicine. So uh, you're only gonna be more prepared when you get in and when you go, you're only gonna be more sure of where you're supposed to be and you're only gonna do better. So I think um, sometimes our setbacks aren't actually setbacks. We just put it in our mind that it's a setback because yeah. it feels like one or because society told us this is a setback. But sometimes it's not actually, it's, it's, it's uh, you're, you know, you think you're falling and you're actually flying. So I think, um, you know, it's good perspective to keep in mind when things don't always go the way that you expect them to or want them to. It can also, it can honestly be um, part of the journey of, of life. And that's part of the fun of it. You have to enjoy the moments as they come and go and have the challenges of, of, just getting out of our own way sometimes, getting out of our own mind and realizing that um, we aren't doing as bad as we think we are. And it's some, something that I've always had on my mind is that school is always going to be there. I just want to add the fact that you moved all the way from Puerto Rico, <laughs> okay, to Washington. Oh my gosh. Across the, it's across the whole United States. You went from like one way side to all the way across the United States to the other side. Um, and oh gosh <laughs> this way but yeah you get what I'm saying like it's yeah. that's really brave you mean you left your entire family you left your love you left your friends you left your entire way of life to move to a place where you knew no one and you 
took the chance to take the job. And I remember I was um, talking to you a little bit when you were, when you just had the internship over the summer and then you got the job offer. And I remember encouraging you to take it. I was like, if this isn't your heart, you yeah. have to take the job, just take the job because it will lead you to the place that you're supposed to be. And you can't let the fear hold you back. Like you can't let the fear of failing. You can't let the fear of not getting in hold you back. You can't let the fear of, of something new hold you back because that's how we grow. And that's how we get to the life that we're trying to get to. So I was really proud of you and really happy to hear <laughs> Thank you. you the job, despite it being, I'm sure extremely difficult, both, both emotionally and physically, just being away from family and loved ones. And I know long distance relationships can be difficult, but I'm really proud of you. And, um, I'm sure your, you. family, your friends and everyone's really proud of you and support you. Um, and we're here too, for all of that, any tips and tricks you have or a little advice you have, anything helpful that you've learned, like, oh, I really, to study this way is the best way, or don't waste your time with with applying over here for this or just whatever it is, any kind of thing you like wish you had known or something to streamline something easy for someone or just a tip, a trick or a little advice thing. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, a common theme in all this, you know, just moving here, getting the, the job opportunity. And I feel like the importance of networking is like a lot of people don't think about that. So um, I look back on, what I've done and I feel like what led me to grow in this field is you know networking and putting myself out there and I feel like if you're a student and you know we need that mentorship we need someone that is already you know uh, an example a veterinarian to tell us hey this is how it goes this is how you should prepare yourself so having those connections, really putting yourself out there and creating connections with veterinarians, vet techs, um, different organizations that are related to your field, I feel would lead you to have different opportunities because that's how I got my job. I went to this opportunity of, you know, helping my community, which was Spayathon for Puerto Rico. I connected with different veterinarians um, and here I am today, one of them gave me the opportunity to work alongside of them because they they saw, you know, my passion and they saw my interest in shelter medicine and they were like, you know, you're the perfect fit for this job. So if you can start off as a student, as even in your first year, starting to, you know, get those connections with different veterinarians, um, different organizations um, could really help you you know, get these opportunities and even have, you know, pick their minds and get that um, knowledge um, that could help you in the future, maybe advice. So um, that's one tip from me, network, put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to talk to veterinary professionals about, you know, your goals, what you want to do, ask a lot of questions, um, soak in all the knowledge. So I feel like that's um, one of the things that really, really helped me throughout this process and to feel supported. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I think that's really great advice. And I think just to kind of elaborate on that a little bit is just when you follow your heart of where you're trying to go and the natural things that you want to participate in the world, organizations, um, things that you're passionate about, naturally just going towards them 
will lead you down the path that you're trying to get down because you're already following your joy, you're following your passion, you're following the things that make you that move you. Um, so like in Puerto Rico, being a part of that organization to help out led you to this. And that was just you following your passion and from, from animals, your passion for shelter medicine, your passion for helping animals and um, getting um, knowledge to people who own pets. Um, I think that just just following that even in, in any kind of way on a weekend, you know, going over to volunteer over here, that will open up doors for you that will lead you more towards where you're trying to go just by following your your heart and your passion definitely i wanted to follow this this path and i'm just so grateful for all the opportunities that i've been given and that's why i created my platform because i i want other pre-vets to to know that they can do it as well but sometimes we need that reassurance we have all the tools right there but sometimes we just need someone to tell us hey you can you can use those tools to do this and you know i needed that early on so that's what i want to you know i, I want to give back and do that because it is it is not easy we need to support each other we need to be there for each other um in the end we're all colleagues and we we're working for the same goal so mm -hmm. i think it's important that we just stick together Absolutely. And I know everyone listening and watching, um, if you want to contact Gabriella, I'm sure she would love to. I'm going to let her go ahead and tell you her social media handles verbally so you can hear them. And then they'll also be linked down below in this video. So you can go follow her on Instagram and see her journey and uh, ask her all the questions you want to. And I think we're going to do another podcast and we're going to try to get um, a, a veterinarian on with the Gabriella. And I'm excited. Um, Maybe that will do it. So we'll see and we'll keep you posted and that, that will be the next goal. Awesome. So yes, my handle is at the shelter doctor. I always say that um, my DMs are always open. My email is always open as well. You can just uh, find my email in the links uh, in my bio. Um, if you have any questions about the application process, being a pre-vet, um, what to do next, just I'm always open to answer all of those things and just support you in your journey. We're so excited to see where you continue to go and grow to. We'll definitely have to do another podcast in a year from now. We're going to have to check in on yes. you and hear what school you're going to um, because it'll be that time. And uh, we're really excited to just watch you grow. And you've been truly inspiring to everyone. And we're so happy to have you on the podcast. And we look forward to having you on again. Let the world know it's okay. You're not going to get it in the first time. Sometimes you're not going to get it the first time and it's okay. Mm -hmm.